And so watching the new year dawn in the sky, you're stirred with a sense of utter newness, although the sky looks no different from yesterday. Hello and welcome to the very first episode ever of Majorly Useless, a philosophy and literature podcast. I'm your host, Teal Reynolds, and in this episode we're going to be talking about Yoshida Kanko, a poet, monk, essayist and philosopher from medieval Japan. While Kenko's writing is incredibly well known in Japan and is often included in the school curriculum and reading lists, it seems to be relatively unknown in the West and I've actually really struggled finding good free resources that talk about him, especially in comparison to the amount of information out there on European writers from the same period. That being said, in doing my research for this episode, I did come across an article in the Smithsonian Magazine by Lance Morrow called The Timeless Wisdom of Kenko, and it will be linked in the show notes. It addresses not only that point, but Morrow also makes a really interesting comparison between Kenko and Dante, writing... Kenko was a contemporary of Dante, another sometime public man and courtier who lived in exile in unstable times. Their minds in ways were worlds apart. The Divine Comedy contemplated the eternal, the essays in idleness mediated upon the evanescent. Dante wrote with beauty and limpidity and terrifying magnificence, Kenko with offhand charm. They talked about the end of the world in opposite terms. The Italian poet set himself up, part of the time anyway, as the bureaucrat of suffering, codifying sins and devising terrible punishments. Kenko, despite his lament for the old-fashioned rack, wrote mostly about solecisms and gaucheries, and it was the Buddhist law of uncertainty that presided over his universe. The Divine Comedy is one of the monuments of world literature. The essays in idleness are lapidary, brief, and not much known outside Japan. In fact, me coming across his work in the first place was by total chance, and I'd actually planned to do this episode on a completely different topic until a couple of days ago. I recently picked up a box set of Penguin Little Black Classics, which if you haven't seen before, they're just essentially just mini tasters of different classical authors. In Australia, you can purchase them individually for under $5, and according to the back, they retail for one British pound. Anyway, I picked up a book at random from the collection as I wanted something short to read, but didn't want to get caught up in the umming and ahhing of trying to actually decide what I was in the mood for. The book that I selected happened to be A Cup of Sake Beneath the Cherry Trees, which is a short collection of Kenko's work. Often, Kenko's writing almost serves as his own guide to living well, and I found myself underlining a heap of his writing, including the quote that the episode opened with. With the new year just beginning, resolutions being made, and people seeking out ways to better themselves, coming across his work by chance felt rather apt and is what inspired this particular episode. If you do want to dive into Kenko's work even further, I'll place some links to where you can access his writing, as well as some other free resources to check out in the show notes. Also, a very quick disclaimer, there will be a couple of Japanese words mentioned in this episode, and while I've tried very hard to master the pronunciation, I definitely haven't, um, so apologies in advance and please bear with me. Kenko was most well known for Surya Gusa, a collection of essays on life, beauty, the world around, nature, humani- humani- humanity, etc., the preferred English translation of the title being Essays in Idleness and A Cup of Sake Beneath the Cherry Trees, the book that I first picked up, is actually just shorter extracts from that work. Just really quickly on the title translation, in the introduction to Meredith McKinney's translation of the text, which is the copy that I've used for the show, uh, McKinney writes, For Yoshida Kanko Sura a more difficult name for the English speaker to retain, 
the title chosen by its early translator G.B. Sampson in 1911 and later used by Donald Keane in 1967 translation cannot be surpassed for both euphony and precision. Surya the opening word of the work itself, has the primary meaning of tedious time spent in idleness, while gusa, literally grass or herbs, was a term commonly used for personal and informal writings, much like the earlier meaning of the word essay. Essays in idleness are written in Zuhitsu, a stream-of-consciousness writing style which in English translates to follow the brush. If you aren't familiar with the term stream of consciousness, essentially it just means writing things down the way you think them in your head. In narrative fiction, it can be used to help you get inside the mind of a character, while in non-fiction writing, it's basically just the author getting all their thoughts out onto the page. More specifically, zuitsu is a Japanese literary genre for collections of musings, thoughts and essays loosely connected to one another. It's worth quickly noting that when I refer to essays in terms of Kenko's writing, it's not what you might immediately think of in today's age and the types of essays that you might have written for school or university. Each entry is incredibly short, the shortest two being 127 and 228, both which are only 15 words long. Entry 127 reads simply, if nothing will be gained by changing something, it is better not to do so. And longer entries are still less than two pages, most tend to average out about a short paragraph. Okay, I think that's enough background information, let's get into some of Kenko's essays. I've picked out three that particularly resonated with me, and I hope that you can take something away from them as well. First up, essay 12, which reads, What happiness to sit in intimate conversation with someone of like mind warmed by candid discussion of the amusing and fleeting ways of the world. But such a friend is hard to find, and instead you sit there doing your best to fit in with whatever the other is saying, feeling deeply alone. There is some pleasure to be had from agreeing with the other in general talk that interests you both, but it's better if he takes a slightly different position from yours. No, I can't agree with that. You'll say to each other combatively, and you'll fall into arguing the matter out. This sort of lively discussion is a pleasant way to pass the idle hours, but in fact most people tend to grumble about things different from oneself. And though you can put up with the usual boring platitudes, such men are far indeed from the true friend after your own heart and leave you feeling quite forlorn. This essay is one in particular that stood out to me, and it's one of the extracts I underlined in A Cup of Sake Beneath the Cherry Trees simply because of how universal the feelings of loneliness in casual conversation can be, and honestly how much small talk sucks. Perhaps I'm just speaking to my own experience, but how often have you had a conversation with someone where you feel like you're just running through a script of things to say and come away from the whole encounter feeling like you didn't really connect with one another? It sounds a little bit corny, but it really is special to find someone that you really connect with on such a deep level that you can just sit and talk for hours without getting bored, especially when you can challenge each other and just come away from the conversation feeling really revitalized and stimulated. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with people that you just don't have that level of connection with, but just that no matter who you are, it really is rare to find people that you share that kind of chemistry with. Next up, let's talk about Essay 92, which might be helpful for people currently making New Year's resolutions along the lines of productivity and getting more done in the day. It reads like this. A man who was studying archery took two arrows in his hand and stood before the target. A beginner should not hold two arrows, his teacher told him. 
You will be careless with the first knowing you have a second. You must always be determined to hit the target with the single arrow you shoot and have no thought beyond this. With only two arrows and standing before his master, would he really be inclined to be slapdash with one of them? Yet, although he may not have been aware of his own carelessness, his teacher was. The same injunction surely applies in all matters. A man engaged in Buddhist practice will tell himself at night that there is always the morning, or in the morning will anticipate the night, always intending to make more effort later. And if such are your days, how much less aware must you be of the passing moment's indolence? Why should it be so difficult to carry something out right now when you think of it to seize the instant? Now, I'm not really one for New Year's resolutions in the sense that I don't think you need a specific date to set goals for the future. And I also think that setting a resolution simply because it's the new year and not because you feel genuinely motivated to make a change sets you up for failure before you even begin. That being said... I think analysing your behaviour at any time of year is positive, provided that it's done with real intention for change. I read this passage at a time where I'm trying really hard to improve my productivity and procrastination, and the line, and if such are your days, how much less aware must you be of the passing moment's indolence really stuck out to me. I found myself asking, how much am I devaluing my own time? While Kenko's essays can make me feel motivated to lead a better life at other times, his essays can be both inspiring and also a little disheartening. An example of one such essay being Essay 7, which reads as follows. If our life did not fade and vanish like the dews of Adashino's graves or the drifting smokes from Toraby's burning grounds, but lingered on forever, how little the world would move us. It's the ephemeral state of things that makes them wonderful. Among all living creatures, it is man that lives the longest. The brief day fly dies before evening, summer's cicada knows neither spring nor autumn, what a glorious luxury it is to taste life to the full for even a single year. If you constantly regret life's passing, even a thousand long years will seem but the dream of a night. Why cling to a life which cannot last forever, only to arrive at ugly old age? The longer you live, the greater your share of shame. It is most seemly to die before 40 at the latest. Once past this age, people develop an urge to mix with others without the least shame of their own unsightliness. They spend their dwindling years fussing adoringly over their children and grandchildren, hoping to live long enough to see them make good in the world. Their greed for things of this world grows ever deeper till they lose all ability to be moved by life's pathos and become really quite disgraceful. A quick side note that at the time, age 40 was considered the start of old age, and while the start of this essay really resonates with me in a positive way, I certainly hope to live happily into old age past 40 and see my loved ones thrive. But that being said, when you consider that these were his personal musings on life and weren't necessarily intended for widespread publication, this actually does make a lot of sense. I mean, who really is optimistic and inspiring all the time? I can definitely be pessimistic at times and even a little bit grouchy and I'm willing to bet that you are too. I do think that these essays serve as a really good reminder on how you can find value in the work of different essayists, writers, philosophers, etc. without necessarily subscribing to everything that they've ever thought. And on that note, I think that's about all we have time for in this episode. If you've made it this far, wow, thank you. I really hope you enjoyed the show and found something of value within it. 
please by all means let me know what you thought or what you want to see in future you can find the show on instagram at majorly useless in the future some shows will be like this one where i give some of my own personal response to the work discussed and how it's influenced me while others will be more educational and focus strictly on presenting you with the facts and information about different topics with less of my personal reaction involved If there's anything in particular that you want to see, definitely let me know because I'll most likely cover it if asked. Finally, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and like the show, I would be forever indebted if you left a rating and review. Absolutely no pressure to do so. I'm just stoked that you've listened this far into the episode. Thank you once again for listening and I'll be back in your ears next Tuesday morning.